So by now we should be live. So hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael. And tonight we are here for a special show and tell episode. Uh, show and tell is where we bring on a guest and we talk about something cool. Today's guest is Christopher Gray. Uh, you may know him from some of his previous work. We had him on before for Happiest Apocalypse on Earth, the RPG, which I believe was an any winning RPG or nominated. Oh, I wish. No, it was nominated. However, the winners were so good. I, I, I had to concede. And and I don't just say this because I was nominated twice and never won, but with the Innies, truly the nomination is the honor because at that point it's just a popularity contest. And if someone's just got more followers or more of a footprint, you can't compare to that. So it, it had two nominations and I have to give a shout out to this because it was nominated for product of the year, which was astounding, uh, but also for best interior art. And that was by the artist Rob a who, um, his art was just so fantastic in that book, and that was well-deserved. Excellent. Uh, and there's something cool that we're going to talk about tonight is your newest RPG project that will be going live on Kickstarter in 12 days on February 18th, <laughs> President's Day. And hopefully uh, we'll get, let people know about this new game, get some people interested. Uh, so, Christopher, again, so this new Kickstarter project, as we've talked a little bit before we got on air, is a passion project. You yourself are also an author of, is it, it's nonfiction, correct? I'm an author of fiction. Uh, I have written nonfiction. Uh, I also have a publishing history. I've published about 12 books in my time of various fiction, nonfiction books from various authors. Uh, my book was airport fiction, you know, basically. My wife is a horror author, far more successful than me in terms of, and a much better author. Uh, <laughs> and she, <laughs> Kathleen Kaufman, check her out. She's great. Uh, she has uh, three books in the pipe, one on the way, and um, very prolific. Does a lot of great literary horror. So she's she's wonderful. Excellent. Um, so I'm surrounded by. She's also a literature professor. So uh, in in you know I, 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 I we're surrounded by books. We love books as a family, um, and so uh, yeah, I I I love. Uh, literature and fiction and that uh, of course bled into my role-playing game world yeah so this new project is called the great american novel the rpg and from what you shared with me beforehand the 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 at least the idea the game is very flexible it can be used to do many things but the idea is sort of to emulate or represent um some american literature fiction that you know, we might have read in high school or college if we had to, that kind of thing. But it's a very character-driven game where you're going to explore characters. Is that accurate? Yep, that's exactly right. The idea of it is to build a framework where you can experience the sort of drama that you have in a novel at the table. And that doesn't mean that there aren't car chases, uh, but it means that uh, the, the purpose of the car chase is more important than the chase itself. And so uh, it's a game entirely built around the idea of uh, character motivation and uh, what gets in the way of that character motivation. In fact, the key character metric is whether or not you're rising as a character or falling. Okay. So before we get too far into that, um, just to let people know, again, we mentioned already the Happiest Apocalypse on Earth. Now, was that your first published RPG? Yes, um, unless you count the thing that I did in the 90s that I printed out and handed out to my friends. Technically, that's published. Yeah, true. Michael, that has a copyright on it. <laughs> so uh, uh, so again, that, that was a pretty much a Powered by the Apocalypse style game. 
Yes, that was, uh, it was uh, quintessentially powered by the apocalypse in terms of both approach and framework and also mechanics. In fact, it was heavily inspired by Monster of the Week. Um, if you played Monster of the Week, you're very familiar with how Happiest Apocalypse on Earth runs. Um, and that was uh, really my first foray into into game design recently and my first published RPG. And again, it was successfully kickstarted. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it was nominated for two Ennies, which are a huge honor for anyone who is within this industry. Like I know a lot of people have no idea what that means, but if you are in the industry, you that's a huge huge deal and you should be very proud and your you know your collaborators and your artists artists should certainly be very proud uh so give us the quick sales pitch for that and let us know where we can find it if anybody's listening that wasn't part of that prior kickstarter and, and thinks it's cool maybe they'll go check it out well, it is cool it's a lot of fun it's um essentially cthulhu in a children's theme park so you have the great mouse that lies underneath and you have the theme park built upon it and all of the employees are trying to keep the secret safe and the great mouse satiated. And so a lot of great Lovecraftian satirical horror, uh, and, uh, usually in the form of animatronics trying to kill you, um, <laughs> uh, play out. So it's just a lot of fun. It's a great game. The, uh, the tone and tenor of the game is, is just a blast. It's fun to read. Um, that is available at drive-thru. Um, however, if you want the nice soft touch cover that feels really good in the hand and you want it signed by me, you'll need to go to Christopher.world, my website, order it there, and then I'll send it to you. Um, the the drive through production is great, but they have limited options on on the cover. So um, there are actually two editions out. Oh, very cool. One is the classy cover, and the other is this nice soft felt cover. So it always re- reminds me of that line. I believe it's from the first Jurassic Park that when the ride, when the what is it, the Car- Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the ride doesn't eat the people. In your version, it might. It might and has, and has. many times. <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's great. It does a lot of what you would expect a PBTA game to do, um, and a little bit de- deconstructed on playbooks. Uh, you can kind of assemble your your character a little better, uh, and and it's but the setting is it's all about the setting. Very cool. Now, was there something about Power by the Apocalypse that is that a type of game that you enjoy, or is it just easiest to design a game that way? Both of those, either or, and or. Well, I've, I've designed in a few systems, um, and I think PBTA is probably one of the harder game frameworks to design in. Okay. Um, and there's some reasons for that, but I think it's um, what's attractive about it is it's uh, it, it, it's it's focus. It's a, you're able to focus on the right things with it. You can you can like a spotlight turn, and I want to explore this particular uh, experience, and and because of custom moves, and because of the way the flow works, and because of how uh, the game master is instructed on facilitating it, um, you you can create very focused experiences. And um, I think that you know when you think about masks is a perfect example of this. You know, there, we grew up on we're roughly the same age, so we grew up on the same superhero games, right? You know, where you could create through a point by system some ridiculous caricature of batman right and that would be uh what 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 champions of some of those games do but with masks it's not really a superhero game it's a game about kids coming of age uh who happen to be superheroes that's a very specific experience and and pbta is really good at that and in fact um i think uh innovations in pbta over the last couple years have, have have drifted more towards that kind of design that really focused experience and it does a really good job but it's very difficult to design because it's not like fifth edition where you can just say i'm just writing up my own stat block and i'm going to plug it into the machine and really i'm dealing with setting and you know and that's it 
but uh, it, it, it and story, it, you, you actually have to re-engineer the entire framework for your experience. So I think it's much more challenging. If you're just reskinning PBTA, it's probably not going to work as effectively as if you re-engineered it for the thing you're after. Gotcha. So I know uh, one of my friends is a huge fan of Dungeon World. It's, it is his favorite game, and he's tried to convince me multiple times that I should start playing it more. I have tried it twice. Didn't care for it much either time. And I was kind of soured on PBTA games, but then I played Masks. And I had a chance I got to play it with the, with the lead designer. And that was the first one that opened my eyes to, oh, I see what we're trying to do here. For for the type of fantasy genre that D&D emulates and what Dungeon World sort of copies, I still prefer D&D. But if I'm going to play a different type of genre game that is trying to create a very specific type of situation or experience, that's what I'm looking for, a very specific type of experience, I can see how the PBT games do that. They provide you with a framework aimed very deliberately to get the type of experience they want you to have rather than it's just generic fantasy, let's go out and kill some monsters. Um, so I'm starting to come around on PBTA, but still Mask is still the first one I play that I really got into. Uh, but also love you know, Young Justice, that, so that doesn't hurt. Um, so what did you learn about designing the game for PBTA that you have brought into or maybe didn't bring into Great American Novel? Yeah, uh, yeah I think the, uh, the biggest thing I learned from Happy's Apocalypse about using PBTA as a game machine is, is that you really uh, you're not looking at the machine that, that PBTA isn't a it, it isn't a machine even Vincent Baker said um, the designer of Apocalypse World which PBTA was derived from said that this is this isn't a design approach it's like a design aesthetic it's not a machine like if you're if you're building fate you have a machine and the machine works in a certain way and you have to reassemble it for your thing but it's still fate PBTA is a lot different than it's much more of an approach to design so what I learned from Happiest Apocalypse is don't design to the machine, design to the approach. You know, I want I wanted to to uh, compel action and gameplay in the way that uh, these other PBTA games do, and um, and that that's the premise, that's the design goal, not necessarily that it has to be playbooks that have these things or these particular ingredients, because we've seen innovations like Forged in the Dark is now a whole new genre of game that was that was based on the PBTA chassis. That now is 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 in its own. Like if you look at the uh, design thread, it's now its own branch of design. Hmm. Um, but it's still the same approach, and and uh, I think that's what what Great American Novel does. It's, it's another branch of design, um, but that that's built on the same PBDA chassis. And I think that as a designer, you should design to the game, not to the system. And the game, I think, Happiest Apocalypse works great. If I had to do it over again, and I might in a second edition, and you know, a couple of years or whatever, if I had to do it over again, I would, um, I would, I would make it work for the setting a little more and take away some of the machine that's getting in the way of, of the design. Okay, so then with all of that learned, you know, a lot of experience in your belt, you've decided to pour this into a new game, which again, as you said, is kind of a passion project. Um, so we already talked a little bit about your literary background. You're an author. Your wife is an author. But is there anything other than that that, that made you think, I want to create a game about American literature? Well, the, the first thought was, I want to create a game that uses literary structure. Because how many times have you been in, a, say, a D&D game, and you spend the entire time working on your character, and then everybody, everybody has to stop so that you can enter the sub-game of initiative, turn order, 
AC, uh, hit points, damage rolls, etc., and then play that out, and then go back into your character game. And when I run any game, trad or otherwise, I, I have always ever been focused on the character and the story. Um, and I was looking for a game that that did that well, that could focus on that. And there are a lot of games that do that. And in particular, I think Fiasco is a great example. Um, all of Jim Pinto's protocol games do a really good job of this. Um, but even those games were missing structure for me. I was raised in a trad environment. I mean, I cut my teeth on on rifts and werewolf and Call of Cthulhu, and you know, and and so uh, when when you come from that point of view, a lot of these uh, what we would call story games uh, are, are almost too loose on structure. So you'll end up playing out the game, and you'll say, "Okay, I had a really great emotional experience, but I didn't have a fictional." structure. I didn't have a literary structure. I didn't have a, a rise to conflict, a climax, a resolution, a denouement where I left and said, oh, I, read, I experienced an entire story. Too many of those games just sort of was about only character interaction, and I didn't see enough framework on creating the entire story. So that's when I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to work on a machine that does that, and um, what better you know, trappings to put it under than the Great American Novel. So I'm going to make the game for the Great American Novel. Um, and 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 that is where it was built from. But really, the the literary structure was the first thought, and a great American novel was the second. <laughs> okay, again, it makes sense. It's a good marriage. Um, so let's talk about the game in, in some specifics. I, I'm I'm sitting down to play. Is it a traditional three to five player GM? Is it a two person game? What is the table going to look like? Well, you have to put on your smoking jacket. Okay, and you have to grab your martini, mm-hmm. and then. And then you can pontificate on on your trials and tribulations of no, it's um it's it's a it, it can be run several ways. The first the, when you run it raw as written, you have uh, uh, an opportunity as a table to discuss and figure out what you want your themes to be for the game. Um, do you want to deal with coming of age? Do you want to deal with you know? Well, I I want to I want noir. You know, or I want, uh, you know, I want to deal with uh, 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 Salem witch trials. You know, you can be very specific. And the table kind of comes together through through a process to determine what the themes are. Then you determine the setting and the time period. Are we doing 1920s New Orleans? Are we doing, you know, 1950s Arizona? Are we doing, you know, 1690s New England? And, um, and, then, and then you come together on that. Once you have all of that, uh, then you work on your characters and you decide what the relationships are and then you start. Uh, or you could say, you know what, I just want to play this particular experience. We're going to play, uh, I, I really just want to play uh, Grapes of Wrath. And I want to have that experience. I want to play Gatsby. We're going to play Long Island, 1920s. We're going to play Gatsby. Uh, and, and then you can kind of shortcut that and go right into the character process. Uh, so there's two ways. And, and, and even beyond that, you can just reject the great American themes altogether and say, I'm just, I just want to play a character driven story of my own making, or I want to, in, in, interesting uh, anecdote, when I was running this at cons a lot, I was having trouble with attendance and I, I realized that the pitch was, wasn't working. Um, because if I'm going to a con and I'm looking at a list of things to do, I really don't want to go and play a Grapes of Wrath. You know, I'm not, it's not the experience I'm looking for in a con. So I started putting trappings on it to make the uh, the game more exciting and more con-like. And, and just said, okay, the first time I did this, we're going to play the Godfather. 
character-driven story, right? All of the characters uh, uh, are, are motivated. The conflicts are what gets in the way of those motivations. It's, it's, it's perfect for the framework. So we played The Godfather and it worked great. So I started doing The Shining. I did Fargo. I did, I just did whatever awesome movie I could think of. I started playing it with those trappings. And, and as long as it was characters driven, it, it worked just fine. So really you can do any of that. But if you're doing it as written, it needs to be uniquely Americana. It needs to be literary. In other words, uh, you're not probably doing a lot of car chases. You're doing a lot more character drama. And it needs to be realistic. Not saying you can't have magic, but if you have it, it should be a realistic approach to magic. And um, you can play Game of Thrones with this framework. And uh, it works just fine. And so you, 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 all of those trappings work, and then the table decides what those themes are and what you want to what you want to play out okay and again is it three to five players or is it flexible in that it's flexible um i've played i played uh there, there is a facilitator called the novelist um of course and, and then there are there are the players um the game approaches it though that we're all playing it it's very collaborative and it's fiction and storytelling so uh so even the game doesn't really specify gm versus npc we're all players or you know your character players if you're playing the characters i'm playing the uh, the novel characters um and, and then we share and collaborate throughout throughout the session on the storytelling but uh with framework but yeah it's it can be done with two people it can be done with as many as six i wouldn't go more than that because you run into spotlight issues which is you know pretty yeah. standard for any game pretty much my my dream is like three players like a yeah. dm and three players even for D D, that's my preference i found that the games that have three or four usually are better than five and six even if other things should make it not so you know maybe don't have the best dm or have different players but just that three to four is a sweet spot so that that's perfect for me um so we've sit down, we've decided what we're going to do. We're going to do the great American novel. We're going to do, again, Grapes of Wrath. We're going to do the great Gatsby. Um, so when we build our characters, is that like a template for like stereotypes? Like in other PBT games, you got the jock and the nerd, and that kind of gives you specific things to start with. Is that how this would work as well, or is it different? Yeah, it's comparable to playbooks. They're called archetypes because it's literature. And, um, and really, they are literary archetypes. I, I spent a ridiculous amount of time looking at the structure of American novels or great American novels or consider great American novels and, um, and, and, and found patterns of character archetypes. And so these aren't like what you would see that, you know, in the Socratic archetypes or, or anything like that. These are just sort of uh, the, the, um, the conflicted right fighter, you know, the Atticus Finch okay. who is, is dealing with personal demons and, and is trying to fight for right in, in spite of everything or the sacrificial innocent. Uh, there's always one of those in a great American novel. Uh, there's the uh, the honorable guardian, the oath sworn champion, and so these are sort of the um, uh, they're, they're these archetypes that really transcend all kinds of stories. That you can take almost any movie and say, oh, that directly correlates to the oath sworn champion, or that's you know when you think about Game of Thrones, the the, the parallels are really easy. Depends on the season, I guess. But uh, uh, but yeah, now that you you pick an archetype. Um, what's an interesting thing about uh, about Great American Novel uh, is that it's there 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 aren't a lot of uh, bits and pieces in the machine. It's very stripped down. So um, a lot of what you see on your playbook isn't uh, they they aren't powers or moves as much as they are. You know what? What? What's your your base motivation? The conflicted right fire fighter. You know, it's always trying to right wrongs. 
as a basic who they are. They 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 fear injustice, right? And so these are th these qualities are put on there sort of as signposts as the player. So when you're wondering what to do, you can look and say, okay, well this motivates my character. This is my basic personality, uh, and and you choose those elements. And there's some background questions that'll help fill out your character. But they're they're really about creating your your experience as the character. And then uh, there there are a couple of mechanical differences between them, but not many. So it's more about the motivation and, and what sort of story arc that your character should be aiming for or hopes to experience. That's right. Now, That's right. are there any, like if you're going to play a specific type of game, are there certain archetypes that would be like not applicable to this type of game or are they completely mix and matchable? Um, who, whoever wants to play anything can, or are there like, okay, these five make more sense for this type of game and these five make more sense for this type of game? Yeah, there really isn't a party balance, so to speak. I mean, um, I have not yet run into a problem with different R-types playing together. One of the more interesting thing was, was when, when I ran The Shining, which was a really fun game, um, and there was uh, there one of the one of the people uh, picked the secret devil as the archetype, and I was thinking, well, obviously he wants to be the axe murderer, you know? Yeah, of course. And and so we we played out The Shining, and it turned out. Uh, yeah, he was the axe murderer, but it wasn't about uh, his conflict with the other characters. It was his conflict with the hotel and the hotel wanting to bring him in as the next caretaker. You go, look at this guy. He just kills. He's so psychopathic. You know, I, the hotel wanted him on. And so there, there was actually very little conflict between that character and the other characters. It was between him and the setting, which was ironic. Uh, but I haven't seen, because you have complete control over your character, um, uh, through all of the, the the mechanics at play, you have complete control of your character, so you don't you don't die unless you want to. You're not really in competition. The only thing that happens is that uh, your story becomes in conflict with another person's story. So it doesn't really matter what archetype you are. So in a quote unquote traditional game of D and D, the conflict, in a lot of ways, comes down to combat. I'm going to roll a d20, try to hit your number, remove damage. Doesn't sound like that's how this works. So I've got conflict between my character and other character. How do we resolve to see who gets their way? There's a, uh, there are some moves that you use. Um, like other PBTA games, new moves are, are triggered um, because of the narrative. So in D&D, you say, I, uh, you know, I want to roll my, uh, I almost said magic missile, but you don't roll for that. But I, I want to roll my, <laughs> my, my fire. Or no, that's a dex save. You know what I mean. I want to roll my attack, yes. my thing I'm going to do. Uh, in a PBTA framework, you really say, uh, I'm going to I'm going to punch the guy. And that triggers a move. Mm -hmm. And a move you adjudicate through the roll. And, and like PBTA, it's a spectrum of success. Six or less means it didn't work. Seven to nine, it did but with caveat and 10 plus is a success. But what happens in, in great American novel though, is you, you really can't do that unless there's a conflict that you're trying to address. And so the table literally has conflicts out and play like fate aspects. If you played fate. Okay. Where, so you got yes. little cards on the table that say things cards like, uh, don't have enough money or not enough respect from your boss, things like that. Right. Right. And let's say that, um, one of those conflicts is between you and another player because you're asking about what happens if somebody wants somebody something and they come in conflict with with each other. Mm -hmm. Well, let's say uh, the conflict is, um, I don't know, uh, you, you disrespected me. So the conflict would be disrespect. So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna punch you in the face because you disrespected me, 
it sounds like the godfather's game we played yeah right and and uh and so that uh and that conflict is in play so all i have to do is is roll on that conflict now if it's a player to player then that means then if uh if 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 i win that role uh as the other player can decide uh with an incentive to take the punch okay yeah you punch me right um or they can say no no you don't um and and and, but if it's against uh an npc you know then you play it out that way but you have to confront the conflict and if you do uh if it succeeds the conflict leaves the table and it's resolved and you get a little you get a little benny called a plot point because you resolve that conflict and that benny you can spend to to take narrative control of the story okay and, and that's one of the that, that's how you share narrative controls with the with that currency so um well first of all so uh, belkinsa i'm gonna keep saying it differently every time one of them's <laughs> going to be right um it says that it sounds like burning wheel to them in terms of what's empowering the characters are you familiar with burning wheel Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've never played it. I have read it, and I'm a little intimidated to to play it, frankly. So, but as I understand it, yeah, the uh, the the system is much more interested in what your character wants and uh, what gets in the way of that than it is interested in you know what the character does. Okay, so we're at the table uh, now. Do these conflicts are they just come? strictly out of the narrative or role plan and it just happens that we're in conflict so you take a couple of seconds and someone writes you know disrespect on the table is that the job of the novelist do the players do that like how do they actually get onto the table well there's different tiers the uh the setting has its own conflicts which are always in play if you're playing in the great depression you're not going to solve the great depression uh so that 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 conflict's going to be there for the entire game and and if you if you resolve the conflict, you've resolved it for that moment in time. Okay. So, something about that you fixed, but then it's going to come back again in the next scene. Um, so that those are always in play. Now the, the novelist can throw conflicts like candy. I'm just gonna I'm gonna conflict this place up, um, and that just happens out of the natural narrative. Um, also, if you find yourself wanting to punch somebody in the face, but you don't see a conflict that you can confront. <laughs> um, you you can you can uh, you know uh, take one from the novelist who will like in in many PPTAs like if you take my my thing it's going to be very bad for your character so the novelist's job is to make things really difficult on what you want and get and put something in the way so uh, if your motivation in that scene is to um, I don't know uh, let's say something like find your keys. And, I, you know, it can have a motivation like that, or you can have a much more lofty one. But let's say your motivation is to find the keys. I might I might put down a conflict. It's like, okay, yeah, the uh, uh, the rabbit dog has the keys in your mouth. You know, and that's the conflict I'm introducing that you have to confront. Okay. Um, and if you do that, I'll give you a Benny. I'll give you a plot point. But if you want to make your own conflict, uh, you can you can spend a plot point and make a conflict okay. and, then, and then do it that way. So, yeah, so it does definitely have a, a fate like compel aspect flavor to Very it. Much. Um, now, <clears throat> excuse me. So one of the things I, I've said this many times, but I have yet to play in a game of fate that lives up to the promise that the book made me because when I read fate, it blew my mind and it, it has drastically altered the way I look at games. I think it's made me a much better dungeon master or game master, but I've yet to play in a fate game that lives up to what I thought it would be in my head. And one of those things is, while aspects in my mind would be very free-flowing, organic, and natural, in play, every time they've always been almost like screeching to a halt, 
time out. We got to write this down. Oh, the building's on fire. So let's write building on fire on a card, uh, which just, I, I think just the process of stopping the story to do that is one of the things that bothers me. But the other thing is it feels like if you're just persuasive in fate, you can always get your way. Because you can justify, well, because the building's on fire and it just, you know, if you're persuasive enough or whatever. Um, so it doesn't sound like that's going to work as much here because you're not really trying to, uh, the way I'm understanding, you're not really trying to, to utilize the conflict. You're trying to solve the conflict. So you're not trying to leverage it as much as you're trying to eliminate it. So the the way the game progresses, it sounds to me like you're probably not going to have levels for your character. So there's no mechanic benefit to solving a conflict other than it pushes the narrative forward. So it seems like in my mind, it would eliminate that sort of hunting for ways to use aspects because you're not trying to use them. You're trying to address them or confront them. So I don't, I'm not going to say for sure it sounds better, but definitely sounds different than what I've had problems with in the past. Yeah, it, it definitely was inspired by fate, but it does not work the same way. Uh, the, the, they aren't aspects. What they are are conflicts that you're trying to overcome. And the incentive for doing so is that you'll get narrative control, uh, and you can stock that up and then take – and what ends up happening in the game towards the end, people are spending those, and suddenly it's a writer's room. And the whole game kind of just takes on the same amorphous shape until it's concluded. It's a beautiful sight. But that, that happens because you're resolving conflicts. Uh, there's no um, benefit apart from the Benny – to resolve the conflict it doesn't it doesn't give you a reroll. it doesn't do any of that so um so you're stuck with what you got now if you get a bad roll you can always spend your plot point and say okay i you know what i just want to resolve this conflict and this is how it goes down and that's fine you have control you are now the novelist if you spend a plot point you are now the novelist and i sit back and i listen to what you do so i do want to just clarify that so with a plot point i can do i choose to re-roll or do i just get to resolve it narratively and tell you what happens yeah you, you spending a plot point means you are now the novelist gotcha so you don't have to roll now now it's just like you know what this is what happens um what what ends up happening with that though is uh players will tend to complicate things more for themselves oh yeah of course. because you're spending plot points to make the story happen in a way you want and um and that has nothing to do with your character because we lovingly call it gan so that's when I say Gan, I mean Great American Novel. Um, so when you are when you're playing Gan, you, you, there's you're really playing on two levels. There's this meta, uh, we're 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 writing a novel together, in a writer's room kind of way, um, and then I I'm playing a character, and you know those of you that have played Fate kind of know that schizophrenia that can happen where you know am i am i up here meta play, gaming the system bartering with the game master or am i here down with my character and i know that a lot of uh, uh players that i've played with in the past struggle with that about fate uh, especially traditional players uh and, and again there is a huge what, what again incentivizes you to go up to the meta level yeah, you're always going to have your character, and you're always looking at that from the point of view of your character. But when, but you're incentivized to look at the story, and that was by design because we're trying to make a novel. We're not, we're not just doing an exchange of character emotions. We have to have a plot that we create together, and the plot isn't setting doing things to you. The plot is you and the other players getting in the way of what they want. That's the plot. That's the character's journey, and then at the end of it, we have to resolve it. So there's there's a framework in place to make you play it out. So you can just to one more time wrap that around. So if I have a, a Benny, I can introduce a conflict, I can resolve a conflict, 
Is there anything else I can do with it? Is that those kind of the two things that it's good for? Yeah, it, you can introduce a conflict. Uh, it, you can take narrative control. Uh, and that's it. I mean, there's uh, there's one thing I'm forgetting. But it doesn't matter. I mean, because you're really only going to use it for narrative control. And, okay. and, that's what, and that's what people end up using it for. Okay. Now, it sounds to me like it, this is probably a game that's designed more for one-shots. Uh, like a, you know, four to six hour session, you write the novel and you're done. Can it be used to do campaign play or like, you know, are you doing the, the sequel? So you do Godfather one, two, and then three over three sessions. Yeah, it can. Uh, it, and I have, uh, I've done it in, in, in this way where you, you take it for about five sessions. It's not going to be a long campaign. Um, but it is nice to do it in more than one session because then you can take your time with it. I run it a lot as one shots and what ends up happening inevitably is we run out of time. Um, everybody gets really excited about building the setting and that takes a lot of time, not because it takes time mechanically. It really doesn't take any time. If you do it right, it takes 15 minutes to build your setting, another 15 minutes to make your characters and you're ready, but people really get into it. And so it'll go for an hour. So now we only have three hours to play. So I've started introducing trappings where like, okay, we're starting, we're not even gonna discuss themes. We're playing The Shining, we know the themes, right? Let's just go. Uh, however, if you have more time to spend, uh, three, four, even five sessions, you can take your time and develop those characters and work through those emotions, work through those motivations, work through those conflicts. And, and it's, much, it's a much more leisurely experience. The game is actually divided into chapters chapters one two three four and five and they are all based on roughly on the hero's journey and you start in chapter one with the ordinary world everybody just living life like they are and then the first player that resolves a conflict uh that that would cause them to uh put themselves in an uncomfortable position uh then the whole novel moves into chapter two and we have a different move we're going to use to move into the next chapter. So it's structured in chapters. Um, the fifth chapter is really an epilogue. So you're really dealing with four chapters. So I found that five sessions is the perfect amount to play because you can do a chapter per session and you have your intro theme building session and then you have your epilogue. And, and that works great. That's, I think, the ideal way to play it, but it, it's fine with one shot. So, and I've done it with two sessions, and it's actually much more comfortable than one. Okay. Um, so let's assume that the game gets funded and it's going to be published. Um, so far, we're talking about it as just a very much of a framework that we can use to tell our own stories. But like you said, at cons, you kind of start with trappings. So are there going to be settings in the book, like as examples, like if you want to play Godfather, here's what you need. Are there any sort of um, like guidelines or that's not the word, like reference sheets to help us get to a certain place? So my players are lazy. And if this is a game I want to play, I'm going to have to do all of the work. So they're going to come to me, much like if you're running a con, I need to say, we're playing Thundercats. Here's your characters. Here's our themes. We can start playing. So are there going to be those tools available for those of us who want to just jump into a game and need to kind of get us to point B before we have time to get to point A? Yeah, the uh, the well, there's two points on that. One is uh, part of the game is building that, and it's a fun part of the game. So even lazy players really get into that, and it is a team effort to kind of figure out what we're going to play. And that, and uh, But uh, apart from that, uh, in answer to the question, the, the book is, is meant to be a, fr a framework. So it's not, it's going to be a hundred pages of, you want to play a great American novel? Here's how you play a great American novel. And, and, and it's just pretty stripped down. 
but I did put in, uh, and it's, it's still being refined, but there are stretch goals and uh, about creating templates, which you can then use and say, okay, well, this is basically the Great Gatsby template. And these are the conflict, setting conflicts you should have, a uh, couple of pages on what that would look like. And it's like, if you've read Happiest Apocalypse, it's sort of like how the incidents were structured, you know, just a couple of pages to give you something to work with. And, and that would be in the core book. Um, but however, long-term, I, what I really want to do is, is make settings from the framework. So essentially, you know, the Godfather powered by Great American Novel, you know, because there's not a lot of modification you have to do, but there is a lot in, in, in sort of understanding how the game should run and the kinds of conflicts you should use. For example, one modification I made for The Shining was, uh, and this isn't in the core book, so it would have to be a modification, is that you uh, you are in the hotel that is feeding off of your personal demons. So we have to know what your personal demons are. And then I made that as a conflict that only you can confront. So alcoholism or whatever it is, you know, if you're playing Jack Torrance, your personal demon is alcoholism. And so that that's something only you can confront. Uh, and then um, that means that the hotel can go after it as well. Okay. So, uh, so that that's like an example of the kind of modifications you need to use. But so the machine will will work basically anywhere. But you'll you'll have to put a lot of, uh, uh, you know, paper mache to 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 give it the structure it needs for a particular experience. And I think down the road that's what I want to do. I want to do these setting books that will that will dive deep into a particular experience. In fact, the first one I'm working on now in 1920s New Orleans, talking all about, I mean, you have to learn all about the cruise and the Mardi Gras cruise. You have to learn all about the the political climate at the time, you know, and just really get into the nitty gritty of that and how it translates into a game. And and that's different than a setting book, I guess, but it's, it's sort of the approach I'd want to take. Okay. So I want to move into the Kickstarter specifically. Before I do that, I have one question that I kind of wanted to circle back on. Um, just because, again, this game has some elements similar to PBTA. We have these archetypes, which are sort of like playbooks. Um, do the different archetypes give you either special abilities or like bonuses to, to react to certain types of conflict? Like is one better at fighting and another is better at moral philosophizing? Or are they all just sort of like mot motivations more than mechanical? They're, they're mostly motivations, but they are um, there are stat arrays uh, that are that are different for and, and you can choose basically sub archetypes to get your stat arrays. The stats, by the way, are um, instinct, personality, and morality. So when you're rolling, you're rolling to do something like protect yourself, which would be an instinct roll, or you're rolling to take a moral stand, which would be a morality roll, and that could be for the same action. That could be for fighting. Because it's not how strong you are. It's why are you why are you punching that guy in the face? And, and that's because I'm protecting myself. That's 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 a that's an instinct role. But if you're doing it to make a moral stand, uh, then then that's a morality role. So those stat arrays are different by playbook. Also, uh, when a character, the key metric I think earlier on was about the character's arc. You're either rising or you're falling. Yeah, yeah. So arc is your 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 main stat. That you that you that fluctuates between if you if you miss a move you, you your arc might go down um or if you do well on a move it might go up but it, actually if you do well on a move that's there there are there are moves that anybody can make then there are moves that you can only make when you're rising and moves you can only make when you're falling so if you do well on a falling move that means you're going to fall more okay <laughs> you know you're you're falling and so so there's there's some 
algebra in there. But uh, what what ends up happening is um, with the arc is 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 you uh, if you're following you'll you'll your 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 playbook will have a bonus to a particular stat and 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 a subtraction to another stat. So if you're if you're following as the convicted right fighter, that means then your 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 morality is probably going down, and your uh, instinct is probably going up. Uh, sometimes it's the same stat that's affected, depending on the on the archetype. So, so, that, uh, so th that's a big fundamental difference between them. Okay, that actually reminds me a lot of masks. How that yeah. works? That you know you have your different conflicts, and the hero can go up, and that kind of thing. Um, so let's talk about the Kickstarter specifically. So again, we mentioned it's going to go live on February twelfth. Um, February eighteenth. Sorry, yes, twelve Don't days from me. today. Oh my god, I'm not ready. Yeah, so February eighteenth. <laughs> my bad. Um, twelve o'clock. Eastern time, like what's what's our go live? Oh uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm probably going to want to open it up at 9 a.m. Pacific, so 12 p.m. Eastern, and um, that's just because by then I will have had my coffee, and I will be sitting there in front of the computer. I will have done my meditation, and I would have centered myself, and maybe even slipped some scotch in, <laughs> and then I'm ready to go. Nice. Um, so uh, so what's our goal? What do we need to get to fund this game? We don't need much. I'm only asking for five thousand dollars. Okay. That's going to pay for the interior art, the production, the distribution. And it's going to pay for the editing. Um, I have it right now. Uh, it's currently being developmental edited, which means that I have somebody that understands mechanics and machines, you know, making sure my rules work. Um, that's happening right now. That's happening even before the Kickstarter. So uh, really what we're paying for is the copy edit, the line edit, and uh, the artwork. And uh, Rob A. Bear of Happiest Apocalypse on Earth fame is doing the artwork. Oh, excellent. So the award-nominated artist is coming back. Yes. Yes, he's back. <laughs> um, and also the uh, development. I'm really excited. Chris, uh, Chris Nizak from Misdirected Mark is doing the developmental edit. And um, and I'm so thrilled he's doing it because he uh, is not only a uh, he has a master's in creative writing, uh, he he's also extremely good at mechanics and mm. does an entire podcast about mechanics. So I was thrilled that he picked up this work, and so I, I'm confident that that the machine will work when it's ready because he's looking at it. Um, and we have uh, uh, another great editor on board, Lauren Lauren McNaniman. I always mess up her name. I'm sorry, Lauren. Uh, who is uh, the editor for Good Society, um, uh, The Gauntlets Codex, and um, uh, Fraser Simon's games. She does all kinds of – in fact, she just kickstarted a zine yesterday. She's busy right now. She's great. <laughs> uh, so uh, she's, uh, she's, she's doing the edit. She actually did one of the plates. She, she ran the game, and I watched which was extraordinarily painful. Not oh, because sure. Lauren was wonderful, but then I saw all of the problems. I saw Lauren physically trying to grab the air to understand the rules. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so um, that was a good experience. Anyway, she's been involved from the beginning. And so we have a really great cast. Uh, most exciting about this project is um, Gallant Night Games is publishing and distributing it. Uh, I, I, I did, I, I have published, I did Happiest Apocalypse and fulfilled it and all that. But I, I, I just at one point this year decided, you know what, I, I want to design games. I don't want to publish them. <laughs> you know, this is a whole different level of complexity, which I'm totally capable of doing, but it, it takes away from the creative work I want to do. So uh, I mean, I'm I totally capable of cooking a steak, but I prefer <laughs> you to make one and bring it to me. <laughs> right. Well, again, I focus the, the energy better. Uh, but I, I met Alan Barr from Gallant Night Games. Uh, he's a really great guy, and we've we've been hanging out a lot. And um, and he's and he's uh, publishing and distributing it through Gallant Night. So that's that's very exciting. Um, and so he's uh, he's 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 in the wings, waiting to do the work. 
Nice. So uh, Shane from Total Party Thrill Podcast, also known as Mundangerous on Twitter, jumped in um, and saying that Rob's artwork was great and that uh, he's a super nice guy. So there's another uh, reason to enjoy, you know, or look forward to Rob's work is not only is he an award nominated artist, but Shane likes him. I have to say something to Shane, actually, because I, he was at PaxU and played in uh, my Let's Kill Strahd game that I was doing with 2C Gaming. They were doing a, a tournament, right? And, and and the Total Party Thrill people just destroyed Strahd in, like, two rounds. It was ridiculous. And this was also after my 12th hour of running the game. And I was thinking back, like, what did I do wrong? You know, really, tactically, these guys are good, I know. But, I mean, seriously, two rounds, Strahd? Shane, uh, he had 100 less hit points than he should have. Oh, there was a clerical error. I'm sorry. I don't know if that was well learned or not. We'll have to try again. So this is like the Saints Rams game where should have been a pass interference call, but there wasn't. So now the Rams lost the Super Bowl. I looked at my moleskin. He had a hundred less hit points than he should have. So <laughs> nice. Sorry about that. All right. So we need five thousand dollars to make this a reality. Um, yes. I always like to ask though, when it comes to Kickstarters, what is the low other than the pledge for nothing or money for nothing? Um, what is the lowest Kickstarter level? And what do we get? And then what's the crazy high fly to Mexico when we have a bender weekend level? Michael from the future here with a quick break in interruption. When we were recording this episode, there were still some numbers that were in flux. So when we were talking about the Kickstarter levels, Christopher was not 100% on what the levels would be. I was able to get in touch with him and we have gotten the final numbers. So when the Kickstarter goes live, Monday, February 18th, there will be basically three levels. There's going to be a PDF or digital only level that will be $15. There will be a paperback softcover edition for $25 and then a hardcover version for $35. Uh, they have gotten rid of the special deluxe versions. They're just not going to do that. And there's also a retailer package if you are a retailer and want to buy multiple copies for resale. But for your general consumers, you're looking at 15 bucks for the PDF, 25 for the soft cover, or 35 for hard. Thanks. And now back to the past. Now, I know, well, I'm going to say I know, but I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly from the link you sent me, that there are some actual play examples um, in the Kickstarter. Are there any of those available now? Like if someone wanted to go watch this game being played, can they do this at Christopher.world? Uh, it should be. Uh, it will be by the time this comes out. <laughs> but actually, there there are several. If you go to my YouTube, Gray Author, uh, they're 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 posted there. I have one that I ran for GauntletCon, which was Fargo. I have one that I uh, I ran for uh, Pixel Scandal, which was True Blood. That was fun. True Blood worked really well. And I have uh, one that's Raw, which was just Great American Novel Beta Playtest. Uh, where uh, where we played it ended up being a 1940s noir it was really good Los Angeles 1940s um, and that those are all out there I, I'm probably missing some and I, I know that there are more coming uh, so it's it's been it's been played uh, on streams a lot okay uh, there's been a request for you, for the links to these various things I'm trying to do those now um, <laughs> what is the is your Facebook Christopher is a gray author or what would it be well, let me find out. I think it's, if you look up Christopher Gray, you'll find me. Um, I do have it kind of private, Okay. Uh, but, but you'll find me. Um, I th let me look it up real quick while since you're asking. This is me being prepared. <laughs> yeah, it's Gray Author. Okay. And it's yeah. G-R-E-Y? Yeah. Okay. All right. 
So uh, hopefully I got those in the chat for some anybody who's interested. And they, again, they will be in the show notes when this comes out later uh, as audio only, probably next week, Monday or Tuesday, uh, it'll be out. Unless you would prefer me to do it closer. We can talk about that later. Um, sure. so, I, also, I also lurk on your Discord and Slack. So. Well, yeah, you can get a hold of me. I'm around. Um, so we're looking for 5000 We're probably looking around $10 for the PDF uh, version. I'm going to assume that the printed is somewhere between 40 and $60? It's less than that um, it, it, because the, the book is a very big. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I recall somewhere about 25 or 30. Okay. So we'll say 30 just to be safe. And then the leather brown edition, 100, 125, somewhere in there. Um, so let's talk about stretch goals. Let's, let's assume we get to 5,000 easily. Uh, what are we going to see added to the book uh, as we get to stretch goals? Uh, I believe the first one's at, clocked in at seven or maybe it's 10. Uh, again, these numbers are being flexed. But um, the first thing that I'm going to do is put in five settings, as I discussed earlier, which will be um, uh, trappings for a particular experience. Um, and there's, there's a list of them. I know 1920s New Orleans was one of them. Uh, 1940s LA was one of them. It's actually some of the ones that I've played out, uh, 1890s. West, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, so there'll be there'll be five of those that'll that'll be added as an addendum, so that you can take and just run a session in a particular setting, and have most everything you need. Um, and then uh, the next track go after that goal after that will be to put it to the community. Say which which settings would you like uh, as backers, and then and then we'll develop those. Um, after that, I have kind of a crazy one. I think it's at fifteen thousand. If we go that high. I'm actually pretty prolific on writing, so this isn't scary to me. It's just kind of funny. What I want to do is is stream a game, um, raw, uh, just a great American novel as written, and then um, I will write a novel based on the game that was streamed. And I'll do it publicly through a blog, so you get to see all the uh, bruises and and edits and er and problems. And then I'm just gonna just, just do that over the next three four months. And um, that's something I would really like to do. <laughs> so I, I hope we can reach that. Well, hopefully we get there and you're forced to do this thing that you want to do. And, and it'll be less than 50. It'll, it will be no more than 50,000 words. I'm not going to go all crazy and make, uh, you know, 150,000 fantasy, you know, epic. Right. All right. Very, very cool. So we do have a couple people um, in chat. If either of you, or if there's anybody else, because sometimes our numbers are a little bit off, have any questions for Christopher uh, or for myself, but preferably for Christopher, uh, <laughs> drop them in. We'll do our best to answer them. It's Some of it we may have already answered, but we can circle back around. Uh, but while we're waiting for chat to catch up, because there's a bit of delay, Christopher, is there anything about the project that we didn't talk about that you were hoping we would come up? This is kind of your free-for-all uh, catch-up. What, what did we talk about that you think would be important for someone to know to get them to back your project? Uh, I, well, I, I think we covered a lot of it, but what I would like to say is this is a great um, uh, a gateway game. It's extremely easy to play and 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 to, to sit down and play. And it, ha it 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 restricts some of the problematic parts of storytelling games where you have sort of you have to be an extremely good imp improvisational artist sometimes to play those games. And depending on the table, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, uh, this, this, there's enough structure there that it, it sort of helps with that. There are enough tools for the game master to to drive fiction if it needs to be, and um, and so anybody can sit down and play. Um, you know, my mother uh, never does not like games. She plays it; it's fine. My wife, uh, who's getting more and more into games, but this was one of her gateway games. So uh, there's that. But on the other end, it can be extremely. Uh, um, What's the word? It can be extremely fulfilling 
for an advanced player because it really allows you to stretch your wings and take time with your character and um, create this this emotional experience. I say emotional, not that you're crying tears. It's not like that, but you, you create an authentic experience where you're actually feeling what your character feels and, you're, and you're, you're feeling the momentum of the story. And it's just like reading a novel. Every time I run it, it feels like you just closed a book on a novel and you're like, wow, that was pretty crazy. That was that was something that was substantial and and it it, it really does a, a good job on that so it's it, fun for all i guess is the point i'm trying to make nice um so this is completely out of um left field because we probably should have talked about this half an hour ago uh yeah. but something you said made me think of it again i've mentioned before that i kind of feel like sometimes i experience games at two levels kind of like you're talking about there's like the meta game and then there's like the in the game but I have found that a lot of times some of my favorite memories are looking back on the game. Like it, I, even I'm not, I'm not saying I didn't have fun, but you know, in the moment we were dealing with the game and it's only later, like when we think back, like, Oh my God, that was crazy when this happened and this happened and this happened. Um, so I wonder, it feels to me like this is a game that that's going to kind of exist on both of those levels as well. When you're in the game, you're dealing with conflicts, that's going to be fun. But after the game is over, when you sit back and think about the totality of the story you've created, that might be even some ways more fulfilling and more fun. What, what would you say to that? I, well, I think the biggest differentiator in this game is it's designed to have a resolution. It's designed to have uh, the end. And so many games we play don't. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I found, there's two things that I found. One of them is that, you know, you leave the table having completed a story. And that's a really amazing experience. And, it ha- and that's one of the reasons I like this game so much. When I run it, whenever I run it, I leave going, we told an entire story and it was great. It, and it panned out exactly like it should have. Um, the other thing that I find is that the journey that you as a player think your character is going to go on never pans out the way that you think. <laughs> and so you end up going through your arc and by the time it ends, I've heard so many times from so many people saying, I did not see that coming, but that was the best way it could have gone. And, uh, and you know, usually ends up shooting a sheriff, but not a deputy. That's actually happened twice. And I'm any, but anyway, there's a lot of sheriff shooting that happens. I did not expect to be shooting a sheriff, um, but I did. And now I'm on the gallows uh, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. You conclude your character's story. Uh, and that, that's another thing I don't know if I made clear, but um you, you, you play out your character. Now, if your arc ever taps out, either rising or falling, you can continue to play the game, but you're not going to change anymore. Okay. So you should just you should just resolve your character if you can. If you do, you get a whole bunch of plot points. So then you sit next to the novelist and you start like, you know, running <laughs> the game with the novelist. Um, and, and that's really cool. But the other thing that happens is that you, you can decide your character's fate at this point. So, okay, yeah, he gets hit by a train. Or, you know, she's, she's going to retire and go live in, in, you know, south of France. And you, you, get, you have that control. You decide when your character leaves the game and how. Okay. Very int- I've had that experience, again, with more traditional games where I want to do, like, the heroic sacrifice. And it's like, well, I have to roll to see if I hit you. And, okay, I didn't kill you with this attack, so now i got another round. You're just going to let me hit you. Okay. All right, now you're dead. Um, so, yeah, just be able to say, you know, I'm going to do the heroic sacrifice uh, I get to have that emotional moment. I don't have to worry about the mechanics at all. And then we can say, okay, now that conflict is resolved or whatever the case may be. Um, I can definitely see this as a game that I would um, have a lot of fun with. It kind of fits into the wheelhouse of a lot of things that I really enjoy. Uh, so I'm definitely interested in checking it out when it comes out. So hopefully it funds um, and I can get a copy of it. I'll, I'll, I will back it some level for you. Uh, so uh, Bel- Belkinsa? 
I don't know. Um, so it's not a question, but it looks like a cool system. They want to play and run, uh, though they have a feeling that it's probably something they're going to homebrew uh, into a fantastical world or maybe something based on Russian or Ru- I guess Russian literature is what I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please. I mean, it's uh, it's easy to mod, actually. Uh, I don't think you'll have any problem doing that at all. I, I've, I've, it, it, the, the levers are so easy to spot. You can always say, okay, well, we, we don't need that. We'll add this. I'm going to change the name of that, and I'm done. I have Chekhov. Guys, okay. uh, so the, Shane, the, the asked, cherry orchard. It would, I'm sure the cherry orchard would play really well in this framework. <laughs> uh, so Shane is asking, um, what was the inspiration to add the "your story definitely ends" element in the games that he can think of with mechanics like that? They tend to be very competitive or have a limited set of outcomes. Where it doesn't sound like this is like that. The um, the decision came because with your your primary metric is arc, you're rising or falling. At some point, you need to rise to a heroic end or fall to a tragic fate. And that happens when you have plus five arc or minus five arc. Now, when that happens, it's up to you uh, after you've tapped out. But the uh, the point of it, you know, putting it in your hands is just like it, it's 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 a way to to resolve the character on your terms, but still do it in the framework of the story. So. Uh, what ends up happening, it's hard to articulate until you play, but what ends up happening is that you, by the time you get to that point, usually around chapter three or four, you're in such a writer's room environment and people are sharing their plot points so quickly and, and people are taking narrative control and it hasn't been in the novelist's hands now for like 20 minutes. Uh, things start resolving themselves and it sort of has a sort of magical way of working itself out. But at some point it will need to end because we have to, when, when a conflict is resolved, that puts us into the next chapter. We're in the next chapter and we have another, we have another, another goal to get to read. We have new motivations. All right. So there's a motivation to move it forward to see how things change, but there's also the sort of satisfaction with seeing your character come to an end one way or the other. So Shane is definitely a fan. Sometimes they don't until chapter five in your epilogue. Sometimes it goes all the way through. Nice. All right. So we'll give chat one more chance to ask some questions. Um, So I think uh, Belkinza was being very generous and said that I was saying their name correctly. I don't buy it, but (laughs) sure. Um, And Shane as well, if either of you have uh, any more questions. So again, while we're waiting for chat to, to catch up one more time, Chris, where can people find you on the internet, websites, that kind of thing? Uh, just go to Christopher.world. You'll find me. I have the whole world. <laughs> nice. Yeah. There's a great picture of me sipping tea with a Cthulhu mask. Okay. Now I'm interested. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, and again, on Twitter, it is Gray Author. And it looks like on Facebook, it's Gray Author as well. So, yeah, that's um, right. And again, those will be links in the show notes when we get around to that. Uh, I so- also hang out at a lot of the other, like the, a lot of the podcast communities. I am on your Discord. So if you just tag me, I'll see it. Um, I am on your Slack. Um, I'm on a bunch of other slacks. So if you're on the internet long enough with other gamers, you'll find me. Okay, nice. And I'll, I'll plug our Discord. If if you listen to our show, you should join our Discord. It's very laid back. Not a whole lot goes on there. And I constantly post things in public channels that are supposed to be private. So if you have any desire to know what's going on with the network, just hang out. Eventually, I'm going to tell you. Um, so Shane also asked, what is your con schedule for this year? Where are you going to be at uh, running games? I wish I could go to Pax U. I am going to try to go to Origins. So Shane, maybe I can see you there. Um, Origins is not definite, but it's likely. Um, I'm going to uh, Strategic Con, which is LA's local con. It's a very big con. It's a great con. It's just we're on the wrong side of the coast, so nobody west of, or east of the Mississippi comes. But we have three cons a year. 
uh, as strategic on. So uh, have one coming up in February and then May and September. Um, Origins and also Crit Hit, which is a sleepy little con in Phoenix, uh, run by a really uh, great team of people, uh, Jim Miller. And uh, you get your own room to game in, which is awesome. And um, really great group of people there. I think that's all I'm going to have time for. I might try to get PaxU uh, if it's in November. I might be able to swing that. So no Gen Con? No. Oh, too big, too vast, too expensive. Yeah, I, I can see all that. It's it's, it's a, <laughs> I love it. I, I will probably try to go as often as I can till I die. Um, but I'm very fortunate that I live fairly close. I only have to drive a you know, couple hours and I have a hookup with the room. So I get a good room at a good rate. So the two most expensive things are not expensive for me. Uh, humble brag uh, or weird, <laughs> weird flex, whatever. Uh, but Mundanger says maybe it packs you then. So certainly yeah. if that thing you're going to work out, please make sure you let him know so you guys can coordinate. Definitely. I love packs you when I went and I love the chili cheesesteaks. So I'd like to come back. <laughs> It's, it's a tough year. I mean, my wife's a horror writer, so she's going to conventions too, you know, mm -hmm. so we're having to, and we have a 10 year old, so we're looking at our calendars, looking at the bank, you know, making decisions, but, um, but yeah, it's a pretty full year. Yeah. I, um, I live actually closer to origins. I'm like 45 minutes away from origins. Uh, but we have a family vacation that the last two years has fallen on the, the week before. So last year I got back home from a week vacation on Friday and drove up to origins Friday night was a mistake. As much as I enjoyed it, um, it was not a good experience. I was so tired. I d didn't have the right mindset. And then I, you know, I had to come back from origin and go back to work. So I think this is going to be, I don't think I'm going to do origins this year. I'm not saying no for sure. I'll see how I feel, but I'm definitely not going to go up Friday night, but I might drive up Saturday because it is so close. Maybe just for like four or five hours or something. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll apply for a press on. badge. They usually give me one. So then it's, you know, oh, it's just, yeah. Well, you are the media. I am the media. I, I usually uh, have an anniversary during it. Or yeah. uh, and this one is coming, our anniversary is right after it, and, and it's our 19th anniversary. And so we're like, well, okay, it's the not 20. So if I'm going to go, this is probably the year to do it because not, we're not going to have a big blowout. Yep. So 20th, this, on the other hand. This year is our 20th, and we're supposed to go to Con of Thrones uh, to celebrate because it happens right close to around our anniversary date and we both love Game of Thrones. Uh, but the wife is already throwing wrenches into the plan because she keeps saying, well, do we need to go for all three days? I'm like, yeah, we need to go for all three days. But what are we going to do? We're, we're going to go to all the events. Well, what if I don't want to go to the events? Well, then why are we going to the con? So <laughs> our ex, because I go to a lot of conventions, mostly gaming. She's never gone. So I don't know that she understands what you know, what it's going to be like. And she's wanting to like go shopping for a day, maybe hit a museum. I'm like, no, I want to go to the con for three days. Uh, so we haven't bought tickets yet. We're going to see how that works out. Um, Shane once again says, uh, thank you to both of us for relaying the conversation. Uh, Christopher, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely best of luck on the Kickstarter. I'm, I'm sure it will do well. Hopefully it will do well enough that you're forced to write a novel that you kind of want to write anyway. So anyone listening, please go check out the Kickstarter. Uh, if it's something you're interested in, throw Christopher a couple bucks. If it's not something you're interested in, still tweet it out because you might have someone in your circle that is interested and would not have found it otherwise. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off and say goodnight. So this has been Michael. This has been Christopher. And we will see you next time. Thanks and bye-bye. Thank you, chat, for hanging out. It's always more fun when you do that.